This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to episode 153 of the ABZ Football Podcast. Joining me once again it is Gavin J. Baxter. Gav, I, f- I feel like I've seen you more than I've seen my wife and kids this week. How are you? The feeling is very mutual and this is a new one. It's <laughs> never recorded at AM before. No, we've never done an AM, but here, there we go. Let's Let's get it done and dusted. Here we are, just to offer up our thoughts and predictions ahead of Saturday's clash with Celtic in the Cinch Premiership. But I guess, Gav, before we get onto that, the transfer window closed meekly last night for the Dons. No signings in, no outgoings either. Um, some reports that we turned down uh, bids in the region of 1.75 million for Duke, uh, around half a million for Connor Barron. Uh, perhaps it's no surprise though either that no one came in after all. How do you persuade a target to join a club when it's not even clear who's going to take charge of the game on Saturday, let alone anything else? Yeah, uh, couldn't do the patch-up job uh, that we were able to do last last January and get some bodies in to help out the squad. It's a difficult selling point, isn't it? <laughs> when uh, the, the short term of the club is unclear, uh, let alone the long term. And I think it's... Uh, I think focusing on the positives, I'm, I'm glad that we've been able to keep what we do have uh, together, keep Duke, keep Connor Barron. I think the sums that were mentioned, uh, just you know, they don't add up to being good value for either of the players. And, uh, you know, Sokler obviously went off injured um, against Dundee. So you, you, there's been no chat about how serious that is or if it is serious at all, but... Bless him. Uh, I've seen a lot of people praising Pappy Habib Gave's efforts on Tuesday, but I did not see it. So keeping the attacking options together, I think is very important. And if you're not going to get anyone in, yeah, keep a player like Connor Barron. If it's going to be a case that we lose, lose him in the summer, we'll probably get a developmental fee that's close to the, the reported fee that was being offered. So we yeah, just keep him and use him for the end of the season. Yeah, I think the Duke one's interesting. There's a lot of rumour and innuendo about um, Duke's uh, whereabouts, obviously, on Tuesday night. Um, will be interesting now to see what happens there if, if those rumours were indeed true, because if we have turned down that sort of fee from, uh, I think it was Leganis appeared to be the big favourites to sign him during the course of transfer deadline day, do we have a player on our hands, potentially, who will be unhappy about not getting a move and what does that do in terms of his morale going forward or, or if again the rumours were true was that more a symptom again of what was happening to Duke under Barry Robson it's going to be very interesting I think from that side of things 
uh, yeah, from the outside looking in, I would, uh, my hypothesis would be that Duke is just largely fed up with the way that we've been playing for this last six months. And that maybe was just an expression of, you know, and I'm sure you would have known his agent would have been in touch to communicate this was an option. And, you know, probably the major looking for a way out uh, with Robson leaving. Hopefully we bring in an interim manager or a new manager that will maybe start to play to Duke's strengths and we can see him playing with the kind of smile on his face that he had last year. Yeah, and a bit of a high-risk strategy potentially from the from the club here as well to turn down that money. Obviously, Duke's only got 18 months left on his contract. If he doesn't kick much in the way of a ball in anger between now and then in the summer, for example, it's hard to see how you recoup even the sort of cash that was being talked about last night as well. So it is high risk in the sense that you are going to rely on Duke coming back in and you're going to rely on having a manager hopefully either well as you say whether it's an interim or whether we get a permanent in before the end of the season who can make the most out of him and, and get him back to the sort of form that we saw last season uh, it's a gamble but for me it's a calculated gamble because we know what duke is is capable of um the the detail that's always in the background with duke as far as selling him goes is obviously this you know reported stake that Benfica still have in him um and so if you're talking 1.75 million and they're due half of that then we're talking about under 900,000 pounds for Duke which again for me is not worth that's not that money's not worthwhile um in comparison to keeping him for six months and hopefully getting the best out of him and having a real weapon in our arsenal and then we can revisit this in the summer yeah, of course, the, the Benfica thing is still a real level of uncertainty or lack of clarity around that at the moment. There's obviously so many different reports. One will say that we paid, um, obviously, a transfer fee for Duke in order to avoid the 50-50 split on future sales. There are still people out there who will tell you that we are still due that to Benfica, so it'll be interesting to see how that moves on. Um, before we talk about Saturday, again, it's just something that we, we, we did speak about this a little bit on Wednesday after the news of Robson's sacking broke, but, you know, just what an absolute fucking shit show of affairs from our club to have put themselves into once again in this situation <laughs> yeah as far as um a squad that needs needs new bodies needs help um yeah i mean i've said it before but, um on on tuesday or on wednesday we t- talked about this that um the timing of this whole Robson leaving is just very strange. The wording of that statement, um, you know, it still to me implies that if we'd beaten Dundee, then Robson goes in to this weekend as manager, um, probably for the foreseeable, because I don't think we would have sacked him off the back of two old firm defeats. So, yeah, just game by game, day to day basis, and here we are. Um, obviously, Vinny Bajewin's left, uh, which is no surprise to anyone really. But the squad needed help, and it's not going to get it. And so for the uh, at least three of the last four transfer windows in January, it feels very much that the season has been thrown away. Yeah, and it's a good point. I mean, I've seen a lot of people talk last night about how we didn't maybe necessarily need bodies in. There was people out there who believe that we've got enough quality in the squad and a tactically competent manager will be able to get the most out of that. And there's maybe an argument to be said about that. But at the same time... There's two different points that I would make. One, this is a, a squad that we, everybody's recognised, has been crying out for width within the squad to give us options. Um, we've somehow contrived to end the window with one less winger than we had at the start. 
notwithstanding the fact that I think it was always going to be the case that Bajan would go. Bajan obviously also not exactly um, too bothered to see Barry Robson leave as well when you see some of the comments from his interviews um, back in uh, back in Holland. And then secondly, again, potentially, yes, maybe a tactically competent manager can come in and, and get a tune out of the, the current squad. I think it's a squad that does have a level of quality about it, but the big question now though is going to be whether you get in a, a Neil Warnock type for six months or whether we even manage to get a permanent manager in now, they're going to have to work with what they have. And if that doesn't tie up with how they want to play, then your new managers aren't a hiding to nothing as well. It's like a real abdication of duty and responsibility again from those at the higher echelons in the club. Yes, um, 100%. Um, I think possibly when I speculate that Duke maybe just fed up with Robson Ball, um, I think you kind of look at social media that came in Duker, him and sorry, him and Bajawin are, are kind of quite pally. So that's where I'm going with that one. You look at what Bajawin said uh, as soon as he landed back in uh, in the Netherlands about uh, the way that we were playing and how it just, that just didn't a player like him didn't feature in in the plans. Where we are, where we are, and um, I'd love to say that I'm surprised by that uh, negligence from the board, but it's been uh, it's been their story for the last four transfer windows in January, barring barring last season when we we did support the manager, and lo and behold, that you know <laughs> that was pivotal in in the turnaround of our season. This, I, I for me. I also see people saying that, you know, this is a, a third place squad and a competent manager will come in and turn it around. I don't see that level of quality that a lot of people do uh, running through our team, especially when you talk about the fringe players. I mean, fuck me, you know, Shade and Morris, the guy can't even take a throw in, never mind play football. Um, and you've got guys who will just be, the confidence will be low. Uh, you've got guys like Ryan Duncan who've just been shuffled around in position to position on a game to game basis. There's no, you know, there's no consistency in our in our team besides the the regular eleven. We've seen over the last six months that that it's not the right blend of players. Um, so I'm I'm very interested to see how I I I expect, given there's been no real concrete, you know, chat about who the interim will be or if there's going to be a new permanent coach coming in I suspect it'll be Peter Lieben and Scott Anderson that take charge for Celtic and I'm interested to see how they're going to set this up yeah so let's 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 move on to talk about um Saturday then as we've got league leader Celtic heading north to Pataudry for the lunchtime kickoff live on Sky we've just touched on it and as we go to recording just now the Dons with no interim manager appointed as of the time we're recording so Fuck knows if we do indeed see Peter Levin and Scott Anderson's interim training ground appointment upgraded to the match day package as well. Do you, do you think that's where we're heading now? It seems like we're leaving it very, very late for anybody to be coming in. And then when it does come in, it's going to be it's just a token gesture at this point. There's very little you can do to influence a team or a squad within, well, with less than probably 24 hours of time meeting them before they kick off. Well, yeah, that's where I'm going with it. As in, like, if we do get someone in, I mean, we're recording this at the ungodly hour of 6.52 right now in the morning. Um, if anyone comes in today, you know, at 12 o'clock, they've got 24 hours. Um, you're not going to do anything of note from a tactical perspective or formation. Uh, you're probably just going to go with nothing all too dissimilar from what we've done, I would suspect, in the bigger European games. Uh, get the back four. 
load the midfield with um, you know Clarkson, Shinny, Barron, McGrath, and then maybe Danny Pulvar and hope for Miofsky, uh, most likely to just produce some magic, and we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, that's 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 the way I see it. Um, but I'd be surprised if we get someone in before tomorrow. Celtic, of course, coming into this one. Top of the tree, five points clear of Sevco in second place. They are five wins in a row in the league at the moment. We've not beaten Celtic at Patoji now since February 2016. Goals from Johnny Hayes and Simon Church sealing a home double over Celtic that season. Seems like a long, long time ago, doesn't it? Um, our home record against Celtic in the league played 155. We've won 47. Drawn 39, lost 69, goal scored 200 against 245, a win percentage of 30.3%. Of course, a 3-1 defeat earlier in the season in the, the mirror fixture. And it's an interesting one as well, I guess, with Celtic. I mean, despite them being top of the league, there's still significant grumblings within the Celtic support this season about the style of play under Brendan Rodgers in his second spell, also with their board as well as um, for what they perceive to be inactivity in the transfer market. Although I would say, come and look at a club like us from that perspective. Um, only two signings kind of come again. Nicholas Gerrit-Kuhn, their, their only permanent signing so far from Rapid Vienna. He's a German right winger. Um, we we'll, maybe won't make a joke about that right here, right now. And uh, the loan signing of Norwich City's Irish striker, Adam Ida, a man with six goals this season so far today. And of course, Gav, you, I, and Graham as well known that Norwich are our, the team we look out for down south. Um, and, and I'm about to probably jinx ourselves here. Adam Ida's not a guy that's terrifying me too much. No, he's got, I think, over well over 100 appearances for Norwich now. I think he's scored 17 goals all in. Uh, you know, he came in for a FA Cup game with Preston that whomever the manager at the time was didn't take massively seriously, played a fringe team and scored a hat-trick and he's kind of been living off that ever since if you're being quite honest about it. But he has, you know, I think he scored a few goals for Republic of Ireland for the sake of for the sake of balance. Three. Um, <laughs> well, oh, that's more True. than a couple. That's, that's one more than a couple, thank you. Um, so, um, I, I guess you know he's why well, a big, he's a physical player. He's got a little bit of pace about him, but he's not a natural goal scorer, and that's why he's been shipped out from Norwich City, who have not been prolific either this season. Um, but I guess you know it'll be a different game, a different ball game. Playing for Celtic, and get a lot more chances in in all likelihood. But he's not. If you think back from like you know Celtic signing. Dembele and Edward and you know in more recent times Kyogo uh, Adam does a massive step down from any of them yeah watch him now smash in a, a hat trick in his debut on uh, on Saturday after I say that it's an interesting piece I mean without wanting to go Celtic state of mind for a minute um, interesting way the dominoes fell on that one as soon as Ida was announced uh, Norwich then announced the loan signing of Sidney Van Hoydonk of course the son of former Celtic player Pierre Van Hoydonk from Bologna on loan. So it's just interesting how those little dominoes all fell. Outbound in this window for Celtic, Mikey Johnson, which was interesting because he had been starting to see a little bit more game time under Rodgers recently. Uh, Marco Tilio, Adam Montgomery, and then Hyuk Q Kwan on loan with uh, Yusuke Idiguchi making a permanent move to Vissel Kobe and then David Turnbull leaving as well on a permanent deal to Cardiff. I wasn't sure if I'm out there if I was reading out the Don Callis family or... The Celtic team sheets, but 
a 1-0 win for Celtic last time out against Ross County. Celtic without Rio Hitati and uh, Dyson Maeda for this one. They still remain at the Asian Cup with Japan. Celtic generally favouring a 4-3-3 with Rogers so far this season. So expect a front three of Abada or Kuhn with Furuhashi and Palma. O'Reilly McGregor and Paul Bernard in the midfield. Uh, <laughs> Celtic played 11-1-9, drawn one loss, one away from Celtic Park so far this season. 54 scored in their 23 league games. That's by far the most of anyone in the league. They have only conceded 15 in that time as well. That's the second best record of those goals. Uh, 42 from open play against an expected goals of 44.1. So just slightly underperforming there six goals from set plays against an expected goals of 9.9 so very much underperforming as far as set pieces go 10 penalties awarded that's more than anyone else but they have only scored six of them indeed palma missed one last time out as well goals against eight from open play against an expected goals against a 14.32 so doing pretty well they're not to concede in situations that you'd expect them to Set pieces, six conceded against and expected goals against a 5.13. So kind of there or thereabouts there. And six conceded at set plays is the same as us. In terms of style, no real surprises here. Gone is that aggressively paced Postacoglu style. It's been replaced by Rodgers' favoured kind of possession-based football. Very slow, very intricate build-up. By far the team with the most possession in the league, averaging 70% across their games so far this season. They have also put together over 400 passing sequences involving 10 or more passes. Rangers are next in the league in this metric with 254, so it does show you just how far ahead Celtic are from that perspective. Um, not saying it's the right way to play football, it's just an interesting piece to look at. And I guess this has been something that's been a huge area of dissatisfaction, Gav, with the Celtic supporters, the kind of style of football that they seem to be seeing this season so far. Uh, well, the style of football and, you know, quite simply the results as well. I mean, you know, obviously losing to Kilmarnock in the Cup. They've lost a few games uh, in the league this season. Um, off the top of my head, pretty unremarkable in Europe, as they have always been under Rodgers. Um, you know, they're they're not as good as they were uh, under Brendan by a massive distance uh, the first time round. And they're nowhere near close to where they were under, under Ange Postacoglu. So it feels almost any other time of the season if we were in some semblance of form that I'd be looking forward to this and we can provide them with a real test you know um, even though we gave them gifted them three goals at Batology early in the season I felt that we were for large spells very competitive in that game and you know this is an opportunity to to hurt them but you know they're still even if the performances aren't there they're still grinding at results um, you know, someone like Matt O'Reilly is probably the best player in the league right now. Um, so they've got they've got threats. They've got new guys who want to come in and make an impact as well. So yeah, it's going to require one hell of a performance to get anything out of this game. Just quickly, just finishing off with uh, Celtic, just in terms of style and the way they are. I mean, out of possession, they are the most pressing side in the league. A passes per defensive action of eight point eight is is the lowest number in the table. And they have been very successful so far in turning the ball over high up the park, so within kind of 40 metres of the opposition goal, 244 of those high turnovers so far this season as well. But in what also feels very different to how they were under Postacoglu, they're not really converting those turnovers. They've only scored two goals so far this campaign from those turnovers. So, I mean, Gav, what do we think about this one? It's really hard to gauge this game from an Aberdeen perspective simply because we don't even know who's going to be in the dugout at this moment in time. 
Um, yeah, that does make it difficult. Um, what I expect will happen, regardless of whoever it is that takes charge, is that we'll either, you know, overload the defence or overload the midfield, um, try and keep things compact, keep Celtic at bay, and like I say, we'll be relying on Boyamiowski, as we have done all season, to come up with the goals uh, or take the one chance we might get. Uh, but I think I've seen that. I've seen this movie one too many times when it comes to playing Celtic and going at them, you know, backs of the wall, trying to keep them, trying to contain them, never really works out, does it? So I think it could potentially be a long, long old day at the office. Yeah, and that's going to be the interesting part, isn't it? I mean, if you are, let's just say for argument's sake, it's going to be leaving and Anderson, you're probably looking at that European formation you touched on earlier on of either a 5-4-1 or a 4-5-1, depending on which way you want to look at it. Miofsky up top by himself, try to pack the midfield and just try to kind of frustrate Celtic a little bit. I, I, I can't see us doing anything else other than that, to be honest. I mean, it might be one of those slightly um, upsetting returns back to the way in which we played under Jib Goodwood in the first game back after the winter break last season. That's my big concern. But at the same time, I could kind of understand how circumstances would dictate that's how we set up on, on Saturday. Um, yeah, I, I find it hard to believe that um, Peter Levin's been a, a constant voice of dissent to the way we've approached this season and he's going to line us up in a in a 4-3-3 and go all gungs-ho and we'll get you know Esther Sokler and, and Pape up there with, with Bojan Miofsky <laughs> and just really go for it. I think, yeah, we'll try and just because you know, the mood of the club is, you know, it's low. <laughs> it's, it's an understatement. And I think we'll just try and get something out of it by by luck and a bit of defensive grit and, you know, players having the game of their season. But it's going to be really, really hard. I think Gartenman probably still out. It looks like there's not been any real follow-up news about what's happened to him so far. Uh, obviously, I think in his pre-match press conference on Tuesday... Robson indicated that they thought they would get news on Gartenman within the next day or two um, in terms of, I think they were waiting on a scan result just to see if he was going to be out longer term or if it was less severe than they thought. Obviously, there's been radio silence on that now since Robson's no longer here. Uh, Rubicic will obviously be out as well. Again, they were waiting on results for a scan to decide whether or not he was going to need surgery or whether he was going to be able just to rest things out. But even if he rested it out, it's still going to be, I think, probably the remainder of the season before we see uh, Rubicic again. So we just touched on him as well. He went off with what appeared to be some sort of like muscle pull on Tuesday evening as well. Um, Duke obviously was, in inverted commas, ill on Tuesday. Um, we might be a bit limited as well in terms of... Shit is what he was. Yeah, indeed. Um, he might be a little... We might be a bit short when it comes to... Attacking options as well, potentially. Um, we maybe do get to see a first... Uh, I was going to say a first start. It wouldn't be a first start, of course. Anyone that was in Helsinki saw the first start for Papi Habib Gay. But I think all of that does point towards, probably, like you say, a return to that European formation with Miofsky up top by himself, I think. Yeah, that's exactly what I expect. And, you know, in typical Robson fashion, I'm sure if things are not going well, then we'll be able to bring on Papi and... Uh, you know what? I think what, like what I saw about Papi on uh, on Tuesday night. We'll talk about him a little bit more. There was a you know uh, going forward. I mean, I felt I felt like he didn't really know what he was doing, but there was one moment where he broke up the play uh, yeah. defensively and provoked a counterattack. So maybe we're, we're doing the wrong thing. Maybe we're playing in the wrong position. 
Yeah, holding midfield like a, destroyer. Maybe this is like a Joel Linton at Newcastle kind of story. <laughs> Plays up front for maybe. a couple of, couple of years, looks absolutely fucking murder, dropping back in, and then before you know it, you've got yourself a, a modern day kind of Roy Keane. So, uh, yeah, just saying. <laughs> My favourite bit of that, though, was when he broke it up and then he made a really good effort to be fair to join the the attack and he really was those legs were powering up the pitch but he just made like the worst run possible by running straight to the front post when he didn't need to do it and that was the moment for me i was like yeah that looks like a guy who doesn't have a lot of like positional nous about him i think you're being generous and saying it was a front post run i think he was running towards the tunnel yeah, well, at one point I thought he was running to try and tackle. Was it Miofsky who had the ball? <laughs> Miofsky. Yeah. Miofsky. <laughs> um, that coupled with his tearing run up the right-hand flank and then throwing in a few a few flicks, a few tricks when you're 1-1 chasing a game with Dundee was also a, a peak moment as far as I was concerned this season. But hey, I felt we saw more, I f- I felt we saw more out of Gay on Tuesday night than we have done in any of his other performances so far. So m- maybe we do need to give him... A little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Bless, you're so generous. I know Neil Warnock's gonna have a field day with some of these boys. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, anyway, there we go. Who knows what uh, happens? You know what? If Warnock wanted to come in, I would just love. To, I'd be a love to be a fly on the wall and see someone like Shaden Morris's reaction when Warnock gives it the old "You gotta die to win three points." I, if Warnock does come in. Um, I would hope that we have very quickly signed up for a like Netflix or Amazon special for the remaining six months of the season. Because if nothing else is going to happen this season, I at least want to have a level of entertainment come off of the back end of it. And this is not... I saw somebody the other day talking about, oh, is this now where we're at? Like, we're becoming a banter club because everyone's just, oh, I'll take Warnock for the banter. I want to put on record. I don't really want Warnock here. I don't think it would be the best idea for us. The only way I think it works for us is because... If you can get a guy who is happy just to sit here for six months and has no aspirations to have the job longer term, and it allows us to try and sort the shit up above him and then get a proper manager in place to then, you know, feed into a revised way of working for the club. Um, but let's be honest, the popcorn would absolutely be out if Warnock was here. You know what? People keep mentioning Neil Warnock, and I said this on the BBC last night. If we are going down the route of a solid, steady pair of hands to see us through this season, much in the same way that maybe Craig Brown did when he first took over from Mark McGee. Why are we settling for the rump steak of Neil Warnock? Let's go for the fillet steak. What's Big Sam up to these days? There we go. I thought you were going to say Mark McGee for a minute. I don't know why. Oh, no, no, I thought you were going to curveball me. I want to see Big Sam. Are we in a position? Aberdeen. To, are we in a position to do what Leeds did and offer Big Sam like just a mountain full of cash to try and avoid them being relegated, but with no like incentive to do so? Fuck that! Just offer him limitless pints of wine, <laughs> and that'll see him up north. You think so? That's what you want to see, Big Sam, in the in the Don's dugout. Why? Why the fuck? The data, all that bollocks. <laughs> I just, I just, I can't. I, I. It would be peak, peak cinch, peak entertainment value. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe you're right. I did see there were some rumours that Wayne Rooney was in Aberdeen last night. I mean, I don't know if that's just, there was somebody who looked a bit like Wayne Rooney. Um, I mean, that would be absolutely a banterable appointment as well from us if we decided that's what we're going to do based on his recent track record. But uh, I, I presume that's just the rumour mill flying around in overdrive last night. There's probably just some poor bastard out there who looks a little bit like Wayne Rooney now being linked with the Aberdeen job. Anyway, um, let's wrap it up there, Gav. Predictions yes. then for 
Saturday. God, I can't even remember what days are at the moment. Uh, Saturday's lunchtime clash with Celtic. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't like to do this, but I think it'll be extremely tough. Uh, I think it's gonna be two 0 Celtic. Oh, Gav, so depressing. So depressing. Aberdeen three, Celtic one. The clamour for Peter Levin to get the job on a full-time basis begins this weekend and the whole cycle starts again. Trust the process. That'll do us. Thanks for that, Gavin. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, We'll see you all for episode 154, which hopefully will appear in a slightly more normal timescale at some point early next week, unless something mad has happened. Once again, over the course of the next few days, uh, please remember to like, subscribe, follow whatever you do in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like to shout us a beer or coffee, head to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast. It's sure as hell Gavin and I could do with a coffee right now. We look forward <laughs> to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with the Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds.